history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. Uh, It's Matthew, and we're back again for another interview with the 2022 Municipal Election Miniseries. With me today is Mr. Christopher Mamaliti. He's running for Ward 7, uh, Humber River, Black Creek of the City of Toronto. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Thank you very much for having me. We appreciate it. And thank you for covering our municipal politics. Awesome. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I love municipal politics. And the reason I do is because it's it's about the person. You know, when you got federal politics, you got uh, uh, provincial politics, you know, it's all the party and all the garbage because there's rules and everything. And, and with municipal politics, there's no party lines. There's nothing. I mean, I, I guess people belong to parties or whatever, but they make up their own rules and it's you judge them on the person. And, and that's what I like. So this is your opportunity to kind of introduce yourself uh, and ultimately answer the questions. Why are you running? Why this election? And why now? Yeah, great. Well, my name is Christopher Mamaliti, as you had led with. Uh, I am currently uh, in Humber River, Black Creek, uh, elected as our TDSB trustee. Uh, halfway through my TDSB trustee term, I was also elected by my peers at the Toronto District School Board uh, as the vice chair of the of the board. Uh, and it would be the first vice chair position at the TDSB in the history of Humber River, Black Creek. So that's something I'm very, very proud of. Um, you know, the, the why, uh, for myself, I, I, everyone has their own motivations. Um, I grew up in a political family. It wasn't something that drove me early on. Uh, I joined into the private sector. That's where I intended on on building my career. Um, but as you spend time, uh, for myself, I was volunteering at Seneca College. So I, I chaired uh, what was their uh, international domestic business program um, community advisory committee, basically. Uh, and as an alumni, I helped chair that committee for six years. But during that process, you start to go through campaigns like trying to help students with bursaries. And and when you help somebody in a a way that's uh, non-monetary, so you're not getting a financial reward, but you're getting a thank you. It's something that really impacts you if if you're the type of person that that wants to serve, that wants to help. Uh, And and that type of assistance really started to get me to think, you know, maybe this is a road that I should be pursuing. Uh, Obviously, I had a father in politics for close to 30 years, he's still in politics now. Um, and with that comes a lot of experience, a lot of resources. Uh, and the community of Humber River Black Creek is, is a heavily marginalized community. So it's an area where I felt like I could make an impact um, u- utilizing those resources. Um, absolutely, and big shoes to fill too. Yeah, you know, of course, huge, huge, <laughs> huge shoes to fill. Um, and you know, for myself, uh, I went through some, some health battles uh, when I was a bit younger. Um, that that helped me give some perspective on on what are the important things you can do in the time that we're here on this planet. You know, what kind of impact can you make? Uh, and that that kind of lit a fire under me, uh, gave me some motivation to say, you know what, I can help. I can do things differently than just maybe looking out for myself. Uh, there's an opportunity to help people who, who could really use support. 
Uh, and that's pretty much what I've, I've dedicated myself to is, is, you know, pushing for people who don't always have a, a voice to speak for them. Uh, and in a community like Humber River Black Creek, that, that's a substantial amount of our community members. Absolutely. And um, so I was wondering if you might share some of your platform, if you have it flushed out, anything um, uh, pertinent that you wanted to share about that. Yeah, well, we're running a grassroots level campaign. And, and what that really means is we're going door to door and we're going early. Uh, we started walking about a month and a half ago. And the intention there is to build a platform based on the, the conversations we have at the door. Uh, we didn't want to walk in and tell our community what's wrong. We wanted to hear from our community. That allows us, in our opinion, to be more responsive uh, to the issues that are there. And it allows us to be more strategic and efficient with the work that we do. So, uh, you know, some of the issues that we see in a community like ours are our seniors. Um, things like snow removal, um, supports in their home, uh, keeping our seniors in their home when they're when they're having issues, if it's a medical condition. Um, you know, in my family, unfortunately, we, we just lost one of our grandparents. Um, I'm very sorry about that. Yeah, thank you for we, we appreciate it very much. Uh, but what we learned through the process is that um, when you when you change environments, uh, it can actually um, create uh less comfort for somebody who's who's aging uh, and they can actually deteriorate a lot quicker um you know my grandparents my no 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 uh spent their whole life trying to um, build a home own a home uh they you know they left italy to come here to, to chase that dream of owning property to owning a home for their family to be raised in and it, it's very difficult for me to watch our seniors spend all that time all that effort building a community building their homes just to have them moved out and moved into a, a facility where things like the pandemic, we watched what, what they can do in homes like that, uh, how quickly, um, you know, that could be, be problematic in the lives of seniors. So I think we really have to look at what are we providing our seniors from a, a social services perspective? Are there are things we can do better in the city of Toronto and in the area I represent, we have snow removal. Um, but, you know, oftentimes when you remove snow, the, these big trucks put more, more snow onto the, the driveway especially in big snowstorms. Absolutely. It's, just, it's our seniors that are, are being forced now to dig themselves out and, and they're hurting themselves. And to me, that's not right. I think, you know, the, the amount of wealth we have uh, in both our country and our city of Toronto, we should be doing better for those who, who made the sacrifice to build the communities that we're in. Not, uh, to, men not to mention waiting up to 12 hours for the, like I live in Etobicoke. So we have uh, sidewalk removal as well, but you're waiting sometimes 12 or longer 12 hours or longer for them to come along and for seniors that means they're trapped in their homes unless they're going to shovel themselves out that's right and what if there's a medical condition and what if they have to go to a doctor's appointment or even have to go to work still uh, because it, it you know it's expensive to live in the city of toronto these are obligations that they have and, and we have to do a better job of supporting them um you know as well as community use uh, of our facilities so you know having places where they can go and socialize um, and I'm speaking of seniors but it's not limited to seniors it's all of our community uh, Humber River Black Creek is one of the most if not the most diverse cities in our country or uh, sorry areas communities in our country and part of uh, uh, the work of diversity is having people spend time together having people be in public together building rapport and respect for each other's culture that happens a little bit easier if we have community spaces where they can go and actually share these spaces. Absolutely. And so what other things are you hearing at the door other than the, the, 
the stuff about the seniors. Is there anything else? Yeah, there's, I mean, it's every community has its own issues, right? Um, you know, safety, security is a, an issue for a lot of people. Opportunity, jobs, and economy. Uh, you know, in Humber River Black Creek, we have one of the higher poverty rates. What that means is that there's no opportunity for our youth. And I see this as a school board trustee. The resources across our city are not shared equally. And when that happens, it helps to reinforce the marginalization that exists. Our youth don't get the same opportunities. And what happens is they move away. And then now all of a sudden, you don't have the youth that are vibrant and growing in your community because they're moving to other communities where, where maybe they have more opportunity or resources. So we have to look at this and we have to start saying, how do we make corrections to what we do in the city of Toronto that can help identify and fill the gaps that we've seen? Absolutely. And, uh, you, you know, it's your area is uh, your ward is um, it's, it's very close to it's in them. Like it's very close to uh, my ward. And, you know, I, I, I'm constantly in and out of, every part of the city because i mean i deliver for a living so um i i i feel where you're coming from i i hear you um moving along in terms of the budget um is there is there things that uh you're aware of or that you know that are that are concerns going forward because i i got i gotta tell you, you know we are we are bleeding money as a city and we're just coming out of a pandemic. You know, there's a one, I don't have to tell you, there's a $1.6 billion backlog in repairs for the TCHC. The TTC is going to be half a half a billion dollars short in funding, according to their numbers. Meanwhile, the, you know, the TTC CEO gets a 21% increase and there are important vital decisions that have to be made in the next four years for with this next council and, and this time we can't afford to make a mistake we can't afford to make the wrong choices um and and i'm just wondering um anything that you want to share budget wise um on this topic yeah i think you bring up a great point you know we're, we're, we're going through a period of time where, where we're to your point we're spending a lot of money uh, and that's going to have a long-term impact. And we're going to have to review where, where is that spun, uh, spending happening? One of the things that I've seen at the school board level that would transfer the same way to the city of Toronto, and you see this through a lot of our public systems, is the money being spent equally, you know, uh, or equitably? Are we actually delivering uh, to communities like Humber River, Black Creek? So when I look at the budget, one of the first things I would review is, is it being distributed in the way that it's intended to, to all 20 uh, 25 wards in the city of Toronto. Uh, the TDSB level is 22 wards. Uh, but that, those are the questions I'd be asking. You know, where is the money being spent? Uh, is it being spent efficiently? And is it being shared across the city of Toronto? I don't think that it's fair to see budget cuts that dramatically impact one community more than another. So these are areas that I would definitely be looking into and, and starting to ask questions about where is this being distributed? Where are our resources? Uh, and, and, you know, if we're going through cuts, uh, are we cutting Humber River Black Creek first, or are we cutting into the communities that have more of these excess resources that exist? Exactly. Um, I, I, you know what? It should be on size. Um, if, if, I mean, if they, if they are going to cut, it should be based on size. And I, um, I mean, it's been a minute since I've seen the map, but I think your ward's actually one of the bigger ones. Am I correct? 
Yeah, geographically, it's large. Uh, I'm yeah. sure there's other areas that have deeper density pockets. I, I, I'm sure that that exists. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really about the, the resource allocation. Is it delivering to the community? Uh, I come from the business sector. Uh, and if, you know, just um, imagine with me here, we're, we own a, a line or we own a manufacturing facility and we have three lines. And one of those lines is operating at 20%. The other ones are operating at 90%. We know that we'd be looking right at that 20% line and trying to do all we can to fix it, right? That's equity. That's the idea of putting a few more resources because we know we have bigger gaps in this area. Mm -hmm. These are the things we need to be applying to public sector as well. Apply that business process. Say to yourself, where's the low hanging fruit that we can correct very quickly? Uh, are there areas that we can inject support into that would actually deliver a greater return? And again, this is very much a business principle, but I think it can be applied to public sector to help us identify again and fill the gaps that we've seen historically, some of them 50, 60 years long. I like that thinking. I really do. Um, moving along to transit. Um, so, you know, <laughs> you've lived in the city. Uh, I mean, I grew up in the city. I used to live, I grew up, in, uh, you know, I grew up in the old Ward 2, which is now Ward 1. Um, I lived 13 years in the former Ward 6, which is now Ward 3, Etobicoke Lakeshore. Um, so the transit sucks, you know, and we've been having the same conversation in council for the past, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years. You know, David Miller, he wanted the LRT. Rob Ford wanted subways. John Tory wanted, want well, maybe he still wants it. I don't know, Smart Track. And all the while, <laughs> transit projects weren't getting done in the last three years or whatever they started. But we would be further along in our transit projects had we stopped uh, feeling the need to keep bringing this conversation to council. Um, and, you know, I'm just wondering, like, these TTC projects, they're, they're, they're obviously, I know the one by me is already run over time and over budget. Uh, well, I'm assuming over budget because I know it's run over time. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, it, does that mean that, that the uh, the cost is going to get passed down to, to the customers? We're going to obviously see a fare increase. I mean, it, it happens pretty regularly. Um, back when I was taking the subway, I drive now. So, um, but anything that you want to say about transit, um, whether you're you're for expansion, I mean, we've seen expansion go into York Region. I'd love to see it personally. I'd love to see it go into Peel and into Durham on the east. I'm just wondering um, your thoughts on it and and how um, maybe transit could benefit your ward if that's possible personally. Like, yeah, Matthew, I think I think you're you're exactly right. I think we need to improve the transit. Uh, in our in our city of Toronto, again, if you go into the the core areas of the city, they have the subway systems, uh, they have the transit lines. But when you go into the rural areas, well, no, we don't have that same support. It's much more difficult for our community to travel around and to get places, to get to their jobs, to get to schools, uh, to get to their daycares. Uh, I'm in full support of growing our transit lines. I think we absolutely have to run them into other municipalities. This is how we will benefit from the economy that comes with these developments. Now, me personally, I prefer the subway systems. And the reason that I prefer the subway systems, I think that they tend to generate more of an economy that comes with them. Uh, I think they remove the traffic on top of the road, which in a lot of our communities becomes a major issue. 
Humber River Black Creek, we have a lot of transport trucks. And now we're going to have an LRT instead of a subway. Uh, the subway was the intended um, uh, decision, but it ended up being changed to an LRT. Uh, my understanding is that because it quote unquote saved costs. Now to your point, a lot of these projects end up running deeper. They end up uh, driving up costs. And long-term, we have to ask ourselves, which one's actually benefiting the community uh, in an overall way? Traffic congestion is a major issue. And having uh, a train on top of the road doesn't necessarily help with the congestion issues that you see in a community like Humber River. Uh, I'd love to see transit going north-south. Uh, we have Jane Street that runs right through our city and goes right into other municipalities. I'd love to see a, a, a transit line that can run through there that would help a community like Humber River Black Creek develop an economy. And this goes back to what I spoke to you about earlier, that opportunity. Uh, opportunity comes with economy. Uh, when you bring businesses, when you bring jobs, that's opportunity for your youth. And then you start to see youth wanting to say, hey, I'll live in that community. Hey, here's an opportunity for me to be a, a homeowner, a, a taxpayer into this community. But until we provide those opportunities, these gaps continue to exist. So, so Matthew, to your point, I think transit is critical uh, if we really want to close those uh, gaps that we see within those local communities that, again, have traditionally been marginalized. Absolutely. And and the other thing that I wanted to bring up was like, like I said earlier, I used to live 13 years uh, uh, on Lakeshore. And I, I got to tell you, half the time, the, the streetcar wasn't running, whether it was because of construction or the winter weather, it was not running. What is the point of having that streetcar there? And and, and the, I would I would say the same thing for the LRTs. Are they going to be able to run in the winter? We know the Scarborough RT can't run in the winter. Every, most of the days where it's like snowing or it's like freezing, that thing ain't running. So what's the difference with the with the LRTs they're building now they're building they're building one along Finch I I, I have trouble getting home every night every night because of this thing but but is it going to run in the winter time or are they going to run buses yeah you know one of the benefits to the LRT was that it had additional stops you know that was one of the sells to the community was you'll get more stops out of it which means you have to uh, not necessarily walk as far if you want to get to one of your stops which I, I see the value in that but to your point, we have winter eight months of the year, and we can't ignore what salt damage does to, uh, we see it with our vehicles, and you're going to see the same thing with the trains, the noise that's going to come because of the damage that comes from our weather conditions. That's going to be an annoyance to a community that they don't see right now because they're not living in that pain. But yeah, these, these are the issues that we have to face. You know, you can use examples from around the world of how great an LRT is, but if they don't have the same climate, you're comparing an apple to an orange. Exactly. And, San Francisco, it works beautifully, but that's because of the weather. You got it. You got it. We have to recognize that we have winter eight months of our year. <laughs> yeah. You know what? New York subway system. I, I've never been actually. We're we're we're, we're going to be going in a, in a couple months. And, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to sample the New York uh, subway system and I'll, I'll report back. But. It works for them. Why can't it work for us? Yeah. And I mean, look at the density of New York City. If you compare Toronto, the, the closest city probably comparable to us is New York uh, with, with their growth rate. And, and the reality is we're going to continue to grow. Our infrastructure wasn't designed. And we're seeing this downtown. There's no walkways. There's no, there's no ability for driver and bicyclist or uh, if you like rollerblading, whatever the case is. This is creating an issue because our city wasn't designed for this level of infrastructure. 
And this is where subways can really play a major role because you're going to go under the ground. You're going to save that above ground traffic uh, for those cars or uh, for the pedestrians that would like to use it. So yeah, we, we have to be looking at other models and, and why were they successful in these cities and we're viewing it as unsuccessful in our own. And to your point, New York City is probably closer to us to climate than San Francisco will ever be. So we should be looking at, you know, what was the successes? What were the failures? Um, and again, from, from what I understand and, and from uh, the information that was shared with me around the difference between Subway and LRT, I feel like Subway would have been the better investment for our city. Uh, long term. Um, but I guess time will tell and, and we'll make the best of the transit that we have available to us. I'm still thankful for an LRT. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, we needed transit in Humber River, Black Creek, and it's still going to deliver uh, better transit than we had before. But I think we really need to be analyzing the decisions we're making, why we're making them, and not necessarily just looking five years out, but what's the next 40 years look like? Uh, and this is how we're going to develop a community, again, that has traditionally been left behind because I don't think people are necessarily looking 30, 40 years down the road or even 20 or 30 years for our youth. These are the impacts that are gonna change whether or not they live in the city of Toronto moving forward. Who moves into those local communities? What businesses open their doors? Uh, a business would be much more inclined to open if they know that they can have transportation being delivered to the front of their door uh, or close to the proximity of their door uh, all year long. And to your point, we're gonna have some issues with the weather. And it's going to create delays and it's going to create stresses and issues that we're supposed to be alleviating with public transit. Absolutely. And uh, moving along, I want to talk about something I, I, I'm based on earlier, I think is near and dear to your heart. I want to talk about um, unhoused or homeless, depending on what word you like to use, uh, and also uh, the affordable housing aspect to it. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure um, how bad, I want to be careful how I word this, uh, how bad the, the issue of homeless or unhoused is in specifically in your ward. I know Toronto as a whole, it, it's, a, it's, it's a problem and we need to do more to help them. We need to, we, we just need to do more. And obviously whatever is being done right now is not enough. It's not working. So we need new ideas. We need fresh ideas. And, and, and that's where, uh, you know, candidates like you come in. And also, so then there's the affordable housing aspect. Can we do more? Why are these condos going up and they've gone up in the last, you know, 10 years? Also, they're still going up. They're supposed to be an affordable housing contingent, as, to, as I'm to understand, but there never is. And... You know, it's not like TCH is going to run out and build, a, 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 you know, more buildings. And I'm just wondering anything you want to say on, on that uh, uh, topic. And now I'll lay out so you can talk. <laughs> no, I, you know what, Matthew, I think you, you led well. I think there's a housing crisis in our city. That's a reality. Uh, we have people in poverty that need homes, that need shelter. Um, that being said, we also have to make sure that, to your point, when we're developing, we're developing with community engagement. We're developing with the input of those who are going to feel the impact of that development and make sure that it's answering to the needs of that specific community. One of the things I'd like to see personally is, is more rent to own. I'd like to see us building equity into people's pockets because then that makes them, you know, what they're going to be an owner, uh, which means they're going to be a taxpayer and they're going to contribute back to society that way. One of the biggest issues you hear uh, about TCHC is generational stays. 
So then why aren't we looking at ways that we can actually build equity into the families that are that are needing that support initially? Um, and again, that's, you know, it's just one idea. It's not going to solve the entire issue. But I really think we need to start thinking about how we get people ahead as opposed to just meeting what their immediate need is today. And this goes back to similar to what I was just saying to you, thinking 10, 20 years out, 30, 40 years out, not just my election cycle, not just uh, what do I need to do to get reelected? And, and you know, traditionally in, in the community that I'm looking to represent uh, from the perspective of city council, uh, we have a large pocket of TCHC. Um, just recently, you heard a story about the conditions of these of these buildings that people are, are living in. Uh, the standard is deteriorated and we should be doing better. We need to people deserve dignity in their homes. It's where respect comes from. It's where the rapport comes from for a community. Why you want to take care of it is because you feel like you're being taken care of. Um, there was a, a lady who had a, a, a roof fall in on her at, at TCHC while she was sleeping. You know, uh, that's the stuff we've got to start challenging ourselves on. Are these living conditions, would we let our family member live in these conditions? And I think if a lot of people actually went into the units, they'd say, no, I, I wouldn't want my family to live here. And if that's the case, we have to be looking at how do we rebuild? Now, when I say rebuild, I don't mean it in an irresponsible way. We have to do it with community engagement. We have to do it, as you mentioned, knowing that we have a housing crisis. Um, I don't, Absolutely. Sorry, I, don't, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, uh, segregating poverty into one area of a city is healthy. I think we need to have mixed housing, which means you have all different types of people living together, building respect and rapport together. Uh, these are these are mistakes I believe we made as a city in the past, uh, coming from a good place, trying to help people. But when everybody is segregated together, it doesn't create the means to actually progress out. And we have to be looking at those conditions and saying, how can we support those who are in need so that they can get themselves out of poverty and get themselves into a position of equity and a future for their families. And that's what I think the vast majority, if not everybody is actually looking for. Absolutely. You know, I grew up in TCHC, so I understand in a way that maybe not a lot of people do, or maybe a lot of people do. I don't know. You know, I, I grow up, in, we, we had roaches, we had mice, we had holes in the walls, you know, we had pipes burst, you name it, we had it. <laughs> um, so I, I understand and it's, it's not right. It needs to be fixed. You know, that's, you know, growing up in the ward that I grew up in, you know, I, I came to not know him. We weren't friends, but I respected Rob Ford for the simple fact that he went to these places and he looked at the, the damage and he tried his best to fix the problem. And I don't, I'm not picking on any of the counselors that have uh, uh, come up since, since he's been gone, but I don't see that now. I, I don't. And, and it, it, it just, it just bothers me. It, it bothers me that it is okay with the current mayor and the current council things are allowed to um, status quo is okay with them. And, and that bothers me. Well, you know what, Matthew, that's part of you asked me earlier, why am I running? You know, I think we need more youth in, in, in politics. Um, I know people will see the mammal eating and they'll, they'll mistakenly believe that we come from affluence. And that's simply not true. We come from an immigrant family on my father's side um, who, like I mentioned earlier, um, 
you know, spent all their life trying to build these homes for themselves. And uh, then on my mother's side, uh, her family lived in PCAC. So uh, I've seen both ends. I've lived it myself. I've been there myself. My, my grandmother lived at Falstaff Towers uh, until the day she died. Um, so I've seen those conditions firsthand. And I think this is why we need new voices, new eyes, new experiences in City Hall. Uh, because what we lived in our last, in, in my case, my last 40 years, would be different than those who lived uh, maybe 65 years before that. So I think it's very, very important that we have fresh perspective. Uh, and to your point, Matthew, there's things that we need to be addressing immediately in our communities uh, that are not being addressed right now. So we need to kick that status quo and say it's time to wake up a bit. We need to start looking after our communities. Absolutely. And uh, moving along, I want to talk about uh, crime and police. Uh, now, with your ward, uh, I would assume that your your crime rate's a little higher. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, what more can be done to uh, curtail the violence, to bring the crime rate down? Um, uh, I'll just tell you a quick little story. Like I told you, I grew, uh, we spent 13 years on Lakeshore. One of the main reasons we left, because we no longer live on Lakeshore, one of the main reasons, not not the principal reason, but one of them, is the violence the last four or five years that we lived there, got it got out of hand. Like, I had a neighbor that got shot in broad daylight on the way to the store. <laughs> I, I don't understand that. And, you know, the the... We lived across the street from a, a, a park that had a basketball court. They would deal drugs out of there, and all of a sudden, the violence started. They were shooting into apartment buildings, and it just got worse. I mean, one time the shooting started, we thought my son was in the park. My son was, uh, like, five years old at the time, four, uh, five or six, I can't remember. And uh, it's <laughs> – so so we, we got out of there, I, I, and um, – I'm sure I'm not telling you anything that you, you you've probably heard worse and that's, that's not good. And also, sorry to cap it off. I was wondering uh, what your opinion is between the uh, Toronto police and the, uh, their relationship with the city of Toronto. I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, don't shut up. It's good to hear your perspective, especially like I said earlier, you have lived experience, Matthew, and it's important to hear this lived experience. Um, so two things I'd say, first of all, uh, police are a stakeholder. They're they're a public stakeholder, and it's our job to work with them. Um, they do a lot of difficult jobs, and I think a lot of people forget. You know, when when a um, something dangerous is going down, uh, it's the police that are running in. Um, so you know, I have a lot of respect for that. There's a lot of courage necessary to to fill that position. Uh, as far as crime and and those elements, uh, Matthew, I believe the root cause of of most of those issues are poverty. Um, I think the, the, some of the major gaps, because if you go around the world and you find high poverty rates, you're going to find high crime rates. So we have to recognize that these things go hand in hand and our police are going to do their best to try to uh, react. But again, that's a reaction to an issue. That's like chasing a symptom. What we need to be doing is closing the gaps. What's the root cause? What's creating um, these people making these types of choices? We know young people, and I've seen this as a trustee, they don't grow up wanting to be, nobody wants to grow up being a criminal. That ends up being a choice that's made to survive. That becomes a choice that poverty creates for people. Uh, and our young people are making decisions because they don't have the opportunity and they don't have the future that you see in other areas of the city. So again, this goes 
This is a multifaceted question. Policing is a part of it. But I think if we overextend onto police and say police are responsible for crime rates going up or down, we're missing the root cause problem. And I think that's part of why traditionally we haven't seen those gaps be closed. In fact, we're seeing them growing. So we need to be looking at what can we do differently um, and maybe stop making police be point A to how we can eliminate crime and start looking at what are the root cause problems. Now, please don't take that as I don't think that there's a responsibility on different levels. And, and there are. And there are issues that were created uh, through policing, through our communities. These are all things we have to learn and grow through. But unless we're closing root causes, unless we're identifying root causes and closing those gaps, we're going to continue to see these issues. And, and our local stakeholders are going to continue to be fighting with each other as opposed to working with each other. Collaboration is the way through, and you must do it strategically. Again, coming from business principles, you would never address a problem without identifying the root cause. The root cause analysis is, is one of the major elements of, of running a business. Absolutely. So, so why wouldn't we do the same thing in these instances? I think we really need to address poverty. And again, if you addressed poverty in our city, I believe you would see crime rate drop. Not to zero, because there's an element of crime that will exist in every major city. That, that's that's the life of being a human. And, you know, that's we can't make it zero. But as close to zero as possible should be our goal. Um, and I believe the biggest area of impact would be addressing real systemic poverty. Absolutely. And um, moving along, I'm just wondering what uh, what your opinion is on um, <clears throat> sorry uh, on uh, the way the city handled the pandemic, um, what we learned during the pandemic, and are we ready for the next pandemic? That is a fantastic question. And, and, you know, coming from the trustee perspective on this is, is very unique. And I say this because I feel like, uh, especially in the city of Toronto, your trustees, your school board trustees were the ones that were out front and center on these issues. Uh, your public schools were the ones that were facing a lot of the, the concern, the fear, the threats of the pandemic. Uh, it was your teachers uh, who were on the front face of this. Um, so what I learned throughout it is how important our public schools actually are to how we operate the city of Toronto. So, you know, when we go through uh, the pandemic, people need to go to school. We've seen, a, 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 you know, if, if students aren't in school, we see a drop off in their performance. We see a drop off in, in the delivery of education. And the pandemic opened our eyes to the realities that we can't just keep people home, that it's not viable. We have to have public spaces where people can go in the case that another outbreak were to take place. Uh, but we have to be, you know, our schools aren't uh, a lot of the the um, HVAC systems. They're they're old, so we had to put filters in. But we should be looking at this and saying we need to prepare these public facilities. And it's not just schools. I'm using them as one example because mm -hmm. I felt like they were the front face of the pandemic. Uh, but it's really the reinvestment into our public spaces that will make them more safe in the case that these types of things happen again. Uh, do I feel like we're ready for the next pandemic? No, I don't. I don't feel confident that we've learned from the mistakes of the past or, or identified the gaps that exist. Um, as a school board trustee, I, uh, I put through a motion that was accepted by our team, uh, letters writing out to every level of government saying, we need to be looking at data, reviewing the data of the pandemic together. Because that data is going to show us a lot of those gaps I was mentioning to you earlier. 
But because of the way our public systems operate, there may be different responsibilities to each level of government. That works best if you're reviewing that information uh, as a collective group, as opposed to trying to do it independently. These are the challenges that I'd like to see us putting on our uh, levels of leadership. We need to be collaborating more. We need to be reviewing and making educated decision-making based off of the things that we've learned throughout the pandemic. And, and personally, I don't feel we've done a good enough job there. Absolutely. And you know what? It also goes back to, like you were saying, reading the data, reading the data, but, but who's reading the data? That's the problem. We have to have the right people reading the data because, you know, <clears throat> on a side note, I grew up a wrestling fan and there's a phrase that actually would apply here. And that is that numbers lie and liars use numbers. And so we need the right people that are not going to lie to us. That's right. And, and that's the value of viewing those numbers together. If somebody tried to, to interpret something in a way that was going to benefit simply themselves, you would have a collective group there that would say, no, that, that, that's not the proper interpretation of that. Here's how we see it. And this is why it's so important that your school boards are working alongside the city of Toronto. The city of Toronto is working alongside your MPPs with the province, working with the federal government. And this doesn't just lie with the pandemic. This lies, uh, look at your labor market. Uh, we need skilled trades, right? Our federal government has said that there's gaps in skilled trade workers. Well, why can't we be developing those through our education systems in partnership with the federal government? These are things we have to change the way that we, we perceive who does what job and how do things get accomplished. Uh, it's not as simple as saying we're going to stay in our silos and everything will be fixed. We have to start getting together. To your point, reviewing information, data is one thing, but the interpretation of that data, what it means, how you act on it, is probably more critical than collecting the data itself. So we have to build these tables with experts, with, with people who understand the issues not just of, of collecting data, interpreting data, but also on the ground. Who are the people that are experiencing the issues, the lived experience, and how will these changes impact their lives? We must do a better job collaborating uh, at the leadership level. And, and the pandemic is a great example because it's exposed a lot of issues that are not new, but it's brought it to people's eyes that maybe weren't paying attention in the past. So there's an opportunity for change now that I think has, is in a better place than I've ever seen it. And on that note, uh, if you have a website or anything you want to share with the listeners, now now's your now's your chance. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, our, our campaign website is Mammaliti for Ward uh, for Ward 7.ca. So it's Mammaliti forward 7.ca. So it's for Ward 7. Uh, but you can you can please feel free to jump on, have a look at our website. Um, we're going to be, as I mentioned to you earlier, it's a grassroots campaign. So we're growing our platform as we get to our doors. It's not something where we put out our, our five pieces and we said, this is what we're going to do. I want to hear directly from our community. And as we get to our doors, we're going to be filling in those platform pieces. So please feel free to, to log on and, and share with us your perspective. If you're in the city of Toronto, I want to hear from you. And not just if you're from Humber River, Black Creek, I want to hear from everyone. Because that's where, you know, that diversity of opinion is where we're going to make the best decisions. Absolutely. And I just have one more question real quick and, and you can pass, but I ask everybody, is there anybody running for mayor or other city councillors or school trustees that you'd be willing to endorse at this time? You know what, Matthew, I've been so focused on my own campaign. I'm running against an incumbent. Um, it's, it's a very difficult campaign to run. So I've been very, very focused on the work I have to do. Um, I have a lot of tremendous colleagues that I've worked with at my time at the TDSB. 
that I'd love to see back at the board. But at the end of the day, it's democracy and, and people have a right to choose. And sometimes they want change and sometimes they want uh, to see the same person come back again. I respect the voter and what the voter decides is is democracy. And, and that's what we need to be um, you know, encouraging. We need to encourage voter turnout. This is something in our city that we're, we're losing. Uh, we saw in the provincial election, one of the worst voter turnouts in, in our history. This is a problem for democracy when we don't feel like our voice has a, has a purpose. And we have to address this. Absolutely. I mean, for the people that like Doug Ford, they voted for Doug Ford. And for the people that th- didn't like him, but hey, thought that, you know what, he's going to win anyway, so my vote doesn't count. And and that's the problem. And, and to your point, it, it, you're going to face the same thing municipally. People who think that John Tory is going to win, what's the point? I'm not going to vote because he's going to win anyway. Those are the people that we need to get them off the couch or wherever they are and get them voting. Guys, voting day is October 24th. And, and I say this to everybody in every interview, everything you've ever heard me say. The only way to affect change is to be part of it. That's, I, I, exact, that's exactly it. And on the 24th, and I say this at the door, even if you're not voting for me, go to the voting table. get Cast your vote. Because when, when people are looking at different communities and they're looking at voter rates, there's a social currency to that. In politics, people are looking at that. How engaged is a community? And that often dictates the resources, the focus that you're going to get from that leadership. So it's important that that communities are seen growing from the engagement perspective, but we also have to recognize why people don't vote. The, the feeling of their voice doesn't matter. When a community is neglected for 50 or 60 years, they become hesitant to go out and vote. And we need to address these issues because uh, as you mentioned, the only way to, to truly see change is through your vote. It's through leadership. And, and we have to encourage people to to be okay with pushing the status quo and saying, no, it's time for a change. Absolutely. And I want, I want to say like anything that I can do to help you, just let me know. Um, I I've really enjoyed this interview. I've really enjoyed it. It's like, uh, you know, it's kind of like a getting to know your job interview or whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I thank you so much for this interview. I, I wish you nothing but luck, you know, on election day, I usually sit in front of the TV and I, I'm not only watching the mayoral races around the entire GTA, I'm also watching the wards. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to do that for my computer this year because I'm not going to be, I'm not even going to be in the country on, uh, so I have to do advanced voting. Guys, advanced voting is October 7th to the 14th. Uh, look it up. Uh, I believe it's Toronto.ca or something like that. Um Guys, find out where you need to vote if you cannot vote on October 24th. It is mega important. Um, You know, this isn't change for change's sake. The status quo hasn't worked for eight years. We need change in this city, and we need a blanket change. And people like uh, Christopher Mamaliti, you know what? We need to see him elected. And I want to thank you again for, for this interview. Thank you very much for the kind words. Thank you for, again, being engaged in municipal politics. Not everybody is. Not everybody is giving this platform. Uh, and and as I said earlier, it's, it would be nice to see some youth moving through. Uh, I like to see trustees getting that next step because living in that public sector world, uh, working through our school boards is great experience. 
Uh, and, and on my end, I'm as sincere as there is. I'm not after power. I'm not after authority. I want to leave my community in a better place than, than it started when I took over. And I think if everybody had that true sincerity, we'd be in a much better place. Absolutely. And I can't think of a better way to end the interview. And I, I really, again, just want to thank you for the interview. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.